You guys ready? Um, our theme for today is what's your status? And we all know the Facebook, you know, when you go on Facebook, you, you, you got the, the title board there. So what's on your mind? People want to know what's on your mind. What's going on? Now, I want to share a little bit about my status. A couple of weeks ago, Tony shared a story having to do with um, mountain bike riding. And so I thought I'd share my side of the story so you'd feel more compassion. Please. Tony kind of roasted me. I'm here to seek your compassion. I'm not going to stoop to Tony's level and roast him. I love Tony. <laughs> but I'll tell you what. I just want to clarify something. Actually, I don't want to clarify anything. It was all true. I mean, we went on this retreat. For those of you who weren't here to hear this story, we went on this retreat with some of the brothers uh, just a 24-hour getaway. Let's try to get to see our weaknesses and our strengths. And um, we went mountain bike riding. Now, I'm not an outdoors person. I'm not. I mean, let's go play basketball. Let's go play volleyball. Let's go play uh, football. Let's go even play ping pong. I mean, I'm, you know, let's play some pool. You know what I mean? But to be outside and just kind of hiking or mountain bike riding, it's just not something that gets me going. So, but I was like, you know what? I want to be a team player. Let's go. Let's do this. Got the bike, got the helmet, crazy looking helmets. Um, and we start going up the trail. I mean, two minutes into the main trail, I hit a boulder and just fell face forward. <laughs> it was bad. But I'll tell you what, we went, you know, we went up these hills. And from what I found out afterwards is that they rank these bike trails like one to five, five being like expert, one being beginner stage. And this one was like a 3.5 or 4. So for a guy who's never been before, this is like intense, right? Do you feel the compassion here? Are you feeling it? So, so I'm going up and, and I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm just trying my best getting up there. Now I have a bad knee and I have asthma and, you know, I'm just, oh, I'm just trying to get up. I'm just trying to get up this mountain and I just can't do it. So I get off this bike, and I'm, like, walking it up there. Meanwhile, all these guys who are 10 or 15 years older than me are, like, way ahead. And they're, like, waiting for me. And I'm, like, getting up there, and I just can't for some... Now, going downhill was cool, but the uphill stuff was crazy. Now, at the end, the kind of the cherry on top at the end, as we finish the road, and we're going just on the cement street, up, and it's an uphill cement street to get to lunch... And I've got the vision of lunch coming my way. And I'm, going, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make it up this slight. I'm just going to make it. And I start pushing and pushing. And I'm like, go, 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 go. And all of a sudden, bam, cramps in both legs. And I just, boo, all over. And, and Tony comes and takes my bike up. And I'm like walking up like, you know. It was one of the most embarrassing days that I've had in a long time. And um, I'm very thankful that the brothers were so compassionate and gracious and did not make fun of me. Because I know if I was on the other side of it, I probably would have, you know, dished it out a little bit. And those of you who know me probably know I would have done that. And so, you know, it was interesting to me. I've never really felt like the weak link. 
in a situation before, but in this case, I was the weak link. It was not fun. But I'll tell you what, afterwards, when I got home and told Marina this whole story and she's cracking up, I had never really considered my physical status in the sense that I grew up just kind of doing whatever, eating whatever. I've got a fast metabolism, never going to gain weight kind of thing. And then it's kind of like God humbled me to show me, Rube, you got to take care of the body that I gave you. You got to be a good steward of what he's of what, what I've given you. And it kind of. I had to update my status. You see how I'm going here? And so since that trip, I've been exercising more. <laughs> I've been working out more and these kind of things. And, but I realized, you know, I'm only, I'm only 31 years old. I'm young, right? And uh, I have two beautiful daughters and these kind of things. But I started thinking, I was like, you know, I got to, you know, I, I, once, I start, once I got married, I started eating more. And uh, the food started getting into one area. You know what I mean? It just stayed there. And I realized I'm not a teenager anymore, and I'm not a young college student anymore. I've got to actually do something. And, uh, but it took the cramps <laughs> and the almost asthma attacks to get me to update my status. You see what I'm saying? And to realize my status. And so today, what I want us to focus our attention on is our spiritual status. You know, we're going to be reading some confronting and challenging scriptures that when we come face to face with them may cause us at least to think about where we stand before God. And my prayer is that we don't make the mistake and wait for the cramps and the inability to bike up that mountain by, you know, by just ignoring this, but that by heeding God's word, we would update our status and at least consider the question, What's my status before God? Am I living within the truth of God's word or am I deceiving myself? I think some of us, I'm just guessing, some of us may need a spiritual status update. Amen. You know, on Facebook, we put our status up and people want to know what we're doing and thinking and funny things happen and scriptures and all this kind of stuff. And you basically kind of get to know a person by what they put up. Back in 1998, an anonymous person called up an advertising agency and they said, "Um, I want to donate money to start a campaign ad for the next two or three months to to put billboards out that share and provoke people to spiritual thought. And so a campaign started. Have you guys seen these? With God's kind of statuses. And I want to show a couple of them here. You know, you go down the road, you're like, life is short. Eternity isn't. God. (laughs) You know what I mean? You got, you think it's hot down here? You got, you know, feeling lost? My book is your map. God. God says, don't make me come down there. It's kind of like, God's status updates, you know what I mean? There's some other ones that were pretty funny. So one of them said, I love the wedding. Invite me to the marriage. God. <laughs> Can you imagine driving? Now, this was mostly on the East Coast. I mean, I came out here from Florida. So when I, I remember driving in Florida, you see these a lot. It ended up becoming this huge phenomenon where throughout the whole country, these things were put up. Just trying to provoke people to spiritual thought. 
Um, another one was, will the road you are on get you to my place? Dash God. You know, I mean, it's just wild. But and these are funny. They're thought provoking sayings. They're using the billboard campaign. And so I thought to myself, well, what's what's God's status with me? If God were to put a billboard up about me, what's what would he put up? And so I want to encourage our thoughts today. Think, you know, what's your relationship status with God? Everybody wants to know on Facebook if you're dating, if you're married or whatever. What's your relationship status with God? And what is God's status with you? We're going to do a Bible study in Romans chapter one. And uh, we're going to take a little journey and just a little voyage going through the first three chapters of Romans. We're not going to read everything in there, but I want to really focus in on some parts of Romans. And uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes the book of Romans to strengthen the church there. He's about to go visit. He's never been. He's a Roman citizen. He really wants to go visit the, the disciples there. And uh, he wants to strengthen them before he comes. And he says, and, and he, so he writes this book, and, and this book is written almost like a theological paper to prove God's plan for salvation and his standard of righteousness. And if we're going we're gonna to turn our Bibles here to, to Romans chapter 1... In verse 16, I didn't put the scriptures up. I want us to look in the Word of God. If, you're, if you uh, don't have your Bible, get close to somebody that does and share together. But let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 1. And we'll start reading here in verse 16. Paul starts off in his main thesis for the whole book of Romans. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul was absolutely convinced that the only way to God is through the gospel of Christ. The good news of Christ. Jesus came, died. Raised on the third day. You can be part of the kingdom of God. Be forgiven of your sins. Jesus is Lord. I mean, this gospel message, Paul was like, it is the power of God that brings salvation, not just to a few people, but to everyone. We need to remember, in in thinking and studying this, this book, that men and women in that time, literally were tortured and died because of what they believed. They didn't just get made fun of. They didn't just get ignored. They were brought into the arenas. What's your confession? Is Caesar Lord or is Jesus Lord? And that's where we get our good confession. These Christians, our brothers and sisters, Jesus is Lord. I mean, they were willing to die for this. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed. This is the power of God, the gospel. So after he presents his thesis, he presents his case. It's kind of like a lawyer here. He, he, and I want you to keep in mind that the church in this time, there were two peoples. First were the Jews, who God had given them the law and the Old Testament and all these great things. And Jesus was a Jew and Jesus came from that, that chosen nation. And then there was everyone else who were called, considered Gentiles. And Paul's referring to those in verse 18. We'll start here. 
to those who are Gentiles. They have no knowledge of God. They have no knowledge of the law and Jesus, the message of grace. And so he's talking about these people. And he says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of God's people, of, of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a moral human being and birds and animals and reptiles. And therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. What a scorching scripture. I mean, Paul just kind of lays it out. He says God's wrath is kind of waiting to be revealed. Because of the sin, because people took what people took what God had given and exchanged the truth for a lie. That's what sin is. It's a lie. And so God just gave them over, allowed them to just degrade their bodies. And he talks about idolatry and he goes on. And, and in verse 32, he says, Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these things, but also approve of those who practice them. Society in Paul's time in Rome was almost equal to what we have now today in L.A. When you really think about it, the amount of sexual immorality, sexual impurity, Gossip, slander, the amount of sin that's in our city. It's very similar to what Paul's talking about here. And he just, he just calls it what it is. This is sin. Think about the music we listen to today. Think about the movies we watch. The world we are in not only tolerates sin, but applauds it and approves of it. Think about the TV shows that depict sexual sin as normal and good. I mean, if, if you're not sleeping with somebody in high school, something's weird with you. If you're not sleeping with somebody in college, something's even weirder with you. This is the world we live in. Very similar, right? To what God, through Paul, is saying here. But then Paul doesn't stop there. You say, well, I'm... I'm not really that bad of a person. So Paul goes after you and he says in chapter 2, verse 1. You guys with me here? I'm telling you, we're going to get digging the Bible here. Chapter 2, verse 1. You, therefore, 
have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you'll escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. So he starts going after those who think, oh, well, I'm, I'm okay. I'm not that bad. Those Gentiles, they, that's, but I'm not that bad. You ever been like that before? Uh, you know, I'm not, it's not like I'm killing anybody. It's not like I'm stealing banks. It's not like I'm... You see what I'm saying? Well, he, he says, you have no excuse. You pass judgment on somebody else, but what are you doing? God's looking, for, looking at you too. Man, I'm like, I was studying this stuff out a few weeks ago before I even knew I was going to preach this lesson. I was like, it just started speaking to my heart. And, um, you know, I just think sometimes I can be like that. I'm not that bad. But this guy, he's out there. That girl, whoa, she's out there. Well, Rue, what about you? Then, check this out in verse 17. Now he goes after people that are actually going to church. Romans 2, verse 17 says, Now you, if you call yourself a Jew. Now these are the people that have received the law and they've, they've gotten all this great blessing from God through history and through many years, been punished, been blessed, and back and forth, but they're God's people. Now, if you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Whew! So these guys are going to church all the time. They're reading the Bible. They know the law. They believe in God and follow God. And now Paul's calling them out. I mean, what's up with Paul? It's like he's got a chip on his shoulder or something like that. Like he's just upset at the world. You see, what's happening in the church there is that these Gentiles who didn't know anything about God would hear the gospel of Jesus and be so impressed, so enamored, so just this fall in love. This man died for me and he raised from the dead? That's incredible. And they would turn and become Christians. 
Now, these Jewish Christians, what would happen is these Jewish Christians who became Christians, Jesus is Lord, that had a whole history of the law and had grown up knowing the law and had grown up knowing about all these things, they'd come in and say, well, yeah, but you don't know God the way I know God. You've got to know the Ten Commandments. You've got to go, you know Leviticus and Deuteronomy. You've got to know all this stuff so you can, then you'll be a real Christian. Start putting all these rules. And the Gentiles like, why? I thought I was just forgiven. I thought I was just, you know, I thought I was just supposed to walk with God and we're best friends now. And why do I have to do all these things? And you see what I'm saying? And so Paul talks to those guys. He says, listen, guys, you who claim to teach others, teach little children, know the truth. Do you teach yourself? Do you preach to yourself? You know, I've been a Christian for a long time. Um, and uh, I've been coming to church for a long time. And so many times I can fall into this trap. Well, I know the truth. I have it right here. I know, I know what God has done. I know what Jesus has done. Therefore, listen to me. But I didn't, have my, I, didn't, I didn't spend time with God yesterday. I've been a brute beast at home in a sense of anger or impatience or whatever. Do you see what I'm saying? And, I, you know, I know some of us struggle with this. Especially you've been around for a long time. You know, man, talk to me. Ask me the questions. I know how to help you. How much are you helping yourself? I've been reading this book because I'm really trying to work on my prayer life. I've been reading this book called, uh, um, well, it's All the Complete Works of E.M. Bounds. It's a famous writer and, 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 and preacher. And E.M. Bounds wrote a, his whole complete works on, on prayer. It's like a book like this thick. And I'm just kind of going through, those short chapters. I'm just kind of going through stuff, trying to learn stuff. And one of the chapters, he talks about devotion. You know, when you go to pray, you've got to pray with all your heart. It's not just habit. And then he, he writes this quote about the, and he describes the religious world. I want to read this quote to us because it might describe where we may be at. I hope not, but it was a scary, convicting quote when I read it. Next slide here. He says, this is a busy age, bustling and active, and this bustling spirit has invaded the church of God. Its religious performances are many. The church works religion with the order, precision, and force of real machinery. But too often it works with the heartlessness of the machine. There is much of the treadmill movement in our ceaseless round and routine of religious doings. We pray without praying. We sing without singing with the spirit and the understanding. We have music without the praise of God being in it or near it. We go to church by habit and come home all too gladly when the benediction is pronounced. We read our accustomed chapter in the Bible and feel quite relieved when the task is done. We say our prayers by rote as a schoolboy recites his lesson and are not sorry when the amen is uttered. Religion has to do with everything but our heart. It engages our hands and feet. It takes hold of our voices. It lays its hands on our money. It affects even the postures of our bodies. But it does not take hold of our affections, 
our desires, our zeal, and make us serious, desperately in earnest, and cause us to be quiet and worshipful in the presence of God. We hear sermons in the same spirit with which we listen to a lecture or hear a speech. We visit the house of God just as if it were a common place on a level with the theater, the lecture room, or the forum. We look upon the minister of God, not as the divinely called man of God, but merely as a sort of public speaker on a plane with the politician, the lawyer, or the average speech maker or the lecturer. Oh, how the spirit of true devotion would radically change all this for the better. And I read this and I was, I was so convicted when I read this because I was like, I, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be religious. It's funny. I ask people, you know, hey, you should come, you should come to our church. Visit our church. Oh, well, I don't believe in organized religion. Or I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. What did, what, did, what did Paul just say? God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you? What kind of example are we? What kind of light are we to the world? I hope this is not true of our church, but man, the warnings, the reminders of who I need to be and what I may become without God if I'm not careful. Then, jumping back to Romans, then Paul kind of comes in for a landing. It says in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 and verse 9. He says, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles, everyone else alike, are all under the power of sin. And then he, then he takes some scriptures from the Old Testament and kind of ties them all together. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have come to, they've together become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. What? Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Man. Paul kind of just lays it all out. And again, this is all in context of his whole, the whole book. He's kind of making the charge at the beginning so he, we can see then God's plan. But when I read this, I realized, wow. Paul just made it very simple. We're all in the same boat. No one is righteous. We're all a mess. Paul, give me some hope. And so he does. And we turn here in, in verse 21. But now apart from the law of the righteousness of God, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. Right. We've all made that claim. Everybody's unrighteous for all have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And so we see Paul makes his claim. Gentile, you're a mess. 
Self-righteous person, you're a mess too. Jew, religious Jew, you're a mess. We're all unrighteous. Well, it's kind of gloomy, kind of depressing, right? But then God, but then he says, but guys, wait. Here's, here's why I want you to understand this. I want you to understand this because it's not about you. It's about what God's done. Check this out. He has this righteousness. He says, you can be righteous. You can be just like him if you just look at Christ. Look at what God did. He says, look at what God did. He gave up Jesus. He said, here you go. I'm going to come down there and become just like you. I'm going to go through the same struggles that you went through. I'm going to, do, I'm going to, just, I'm going to become human. I'm going to come down there and you'll see what it means to follow me. Not only that, but I'm going to go ahead and sacrifice my body, shed my blood for you. And not only that, but I'm going to raise from the dead. Because death cannot hold me down. There's life in me. Come, follow me. Come on. And so Paul is presenting his case. You see it? He said, man, we're all a mess. But look what we have in Christ. Look what we have in God. We need God. It's not a matter of whether we want Him or not. We need God. So, status update number one. I am messed up. Need help. SMH. Do you guys know what SMH means? I just found this out. It means shaking my head. I'm messed up. I need help. That's our status update. That's you and me. That's who we are. I'm messed up. I don't know what I'm doing. I need help. You know, we all have sin to deal with. Things that mess with our conscience. We know right from wrong. God created us that way. People say, well, did God create sin? No, we created sin. But God created us never to be separated from Him. But we messed it up. We need to admit who we are in the flesh without God. So status update. Number one, I messed up. I need help. Shaking my head. Now God's status update. Status update number two. NP, I got you. BT Dub, love you. NP meaning no problem. I got you. BTW meaning, by the way, I love you. I'm in the teen ministry. I learned this stuff. You know what I mean? You got to be up on the texting lingo. People say BT dubs. BT dubs, dude. I'll see you later. You know? <laughs> okay. Can you imagine we all talk like this? NP, dude. NP. Oh, LOL. <laughs> God says, don't worry. I got you. No amount of repentance or sacrifice or church attendance or it can ever pay for our status. God said, I want you so bad. I'm going to come down there and show you how to do it. We cannot change without God. Amen? 
This is not like dieting like or quitting smoking. I'm going to quit cold turkey. That's not what I'm talking about. We're talking about transforming, changing because of God's grace and his love that accepts us after you and I accept who we really are without him. Brothers and sisters, we were never meant to be separated from God. And yet he's calling us. He's yearning for us. He's giving up everything for us. Isn't that incredible? When I read these passages, I was just, I, I, I was moved. I was convicted because I realized what a mess I am without God. But I was moved to realize, man, it's, God is incredible. And I became a Christian when I was very young. I became a Christian when I was 14 years old. I've been disciple for 17 years. And I think what's happened is, in these years, God has taken me on a journey to, to understand, and, and it's kind of a process to understand more and more God's grace, God's love. And it's, not, it's definitely by some of the mistakes that I've made, but it's also in watching other people. You know, I've been able to study the Bible with many people and help many people in these kind of things. And, but when you hear people's stories and then you see them change, it's incredible because of God's grace. And... Uh, I'm just so excited to be a Christian. I don't know how you feel about being a Christian. I'm excited because I get to stand under the grace of God as a messed up, shaking my head sinner. And God's just, yo, dude, I got you. Don't worry. Oh, by the way, I love you. And so I want to close out our time here with some challenges. You guys ready? Some practical challenges. You guys still with me here? I can see you. I can see you. Number one, align. I want to encourage and challenge those of us who are visiting, studying the Bible, attending just the Facebook sermon series to align our lives with God's word. Align our spiritual status with God's word. Realize we need God's plan, God's help. We can't do it by ourselves. It's not about our opinions. It's about what God has to say in his plan and his word. Amen. Secondly, I want to challenge us to admit. Admit we need help. Admit we need God. If we're visiting, if we're, if we're studying the Bible, I want to encourage you. You leave here admitting, yo, I, I messed up. SMH, help me out. Admit. For those of us who are disciples, we need to admit, what, where are we falling short? What are the areas that even this week we fell short in? Let's get open. Let's admit it. Thirdly, we need to accept. We need to accept who we are without God. I've had to learn this. Just accept. I've thought about it. You know, if I think God was thinking, yo, I better get this kid when he's 14 because this might be my only chance. That's how messed up his sinful nature is. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, I've, I've thought that thought before. Why did God allow me to find him at such a young age? I thought that, you know, maybe that was God was like, yo, that's that's my only shot. I better get him now. That kid's messed up. He's going to be even more messed up if I don't get him now. I'm grateful for that. I'm very thankful for that. 
We need to accept who we are without God and accept the help that other people can, help, can, can give us to get to where we need to be to update our status. Amen? And lastly, for those of us, for those of us who are disciples who claim Jesus is Lord, I want to encourage us, let us be great ambassadors. Let God's name not be blasphemed amongst the Gentiles or amongst the world because of us. I want to challenge us. Let's be careful not to make the mistake to become hypocritical. Has church become a routine? Do you sit back and criticize the worship service and the uh, sermon and the singing and the everything like that? I mean, has God not engaged your heart just by being around like-minded brothers and sisters? Have you forgotten who you are? Without God? I want to challenge us. When we come to church, when we come to a meeting of the body or devotional or midweek, as heavy as our heart may be, because of whatever we may have, whatever is going on in our lives, to come and, and enjoy the grace of God and the fellowship of His people. Let's be great ambassadors to this world. After reading all this and seeing Paul's point, the following scripture that I want to close out with makes so much more sense to me now. And I hope this helps us understand our status, God's status, and for us ourselves to go get a spiritual status update. In Romans 5 and verse 1, we'll read this and then we're going to pray for communion. Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore... Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into His grace in which we now stand. Amen? And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but, but we also glory in our sufferings. What? We glory in our sufferings because of God's grace. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, at just the right time, when you and I were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? I don't want God's wrath on me. I don't know about you. I want to be saved. I want to glory in the hope of God. I want, I want to glory in my sufferings because of God's grace on my life. Because at just the right time, I was powerless. Christ died for the ungodly.
God demonstrates his love for us. Brothers and sisters, let's admit where we're at today. Let's leave here convinced of God's plan for our lives and glory and the hope he has given us through our Christ, our Lord. Let's get our spiritual status update and get God's. Talk to God. Let's get God. Let's see what God has in store for our lives. At this time, we're going to pray for our communion. I want us to think about what do we need to admit? How in my life do I need to align my life to really live out God's word? How can I be a better ambassador? Leaving here today, what's going to be my status update when it comes to my relationship with God? Let's pray together. I want to encourage you to initiate the relationship. Even tonight, it can begin with a prayer. Even this week, it can begin with some Bible studies. I remember in college, that's when my my pursuit of my relationship began. It changed my whole life. I am who I am because of that week in my life where I initiated the relationship with God. I want to encourage you to do that because He's a merciful and compassionate God who wants us close. And for the rest of us, I want to encourage you tonight. God has given us the responsibility as brothers and sisters, as Christians, as disciples of Christ. He's put it in our hands. We're to be stewards of the world. God is saying, I'm giving you the world. I want to use you to change this world. And you go, what, what, what can I possibly do? Do you know who I am? And sometimes we focus too much on ourselves and we don't focus in on the God that we serve. Anthony came out to our service this morning and he described how we in the Lighthouse region can make a difference by everyone focusing on one person this year. That our compassion would be aroused and that if we focus not on everyone, just one. Save the one. You don't have to save the world. Just save one. That's your mission this year. I want to put that on your heart. Just save one. And what can God do with one? He can have another one. Who helps another one? Who helps another one? That's the plan of Jesus. And before you know it, we have thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of children, of sons and daughters who've come home to be with God again. And you know, in June, when you take up your special missions contribution, I want you to not do it out of a a ritual or a habit or something that you've done every year, but do it out of compassion. Think about your brothers and sisters in the Middle East. Think about the mission. You don't have to go and and live in a place where bullets are flying, where there's riots and there's unrest, but you can support them. You and I can send a, a check to support the mission work. And it's the best investment you can make on this planet in the souls in our are heroes of the faith that are out there giving their lives for Jesus. I'm going to close this out with a prayer, but I appreciate you being here. Thank you for spending the time listening. And I really hope that God can arouse your compassion tonight. We'll pray and then we'll have, uh, I believe we've got a couple of other things and then we're done. Hope you have a great night. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege that you've given us to open our eyes to what's going on in the world around us. Help us to respond with compassion. And to allow our hearts to to be aroused 
to be filled with compassion, even as we leave here today, that we can see someone in need and make a difference. God, we pray for our neighbors and our friends at school that you'll help us to be full of compassion. Because there's things going on in their lives that we have no idea. But if we just reach out, things can come out and a light can be shed. Well, thank you for Gloria and Al, and thank you for all of our brothers and sisters in Mexico and Central America, in the Middle East, that have so much courage to stand their ground and continue to share their faith and share the gospel. Please bless us, bless our, our missions that are coming up in some few months. God, I pray you'll open the floodgates this year. Multiply our resources, but open our hearts. Thank you, God. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for your time this evening. Thank you so much.